You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Stat Hero, the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage. Go to stathero.com slash locked on for 300% back on your first play. I'm your host, your pal, and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, and the show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today, I want to talk to you about one of the things that's probably at the forefront of the Vikings brains right now, probably after they get done with OTAs and they get a little time to work on it. It's extending Brian O'Neill, which we've all kind of accepted as a given. But you know, when we have things that we think are readily obvious, I always say, it's good to check in on him. Real quick, Amari Henderson officially signed. Uh, that is news that broke on Tuesday. Um, we've talked about Amari Henderson already. He was a rookie tryout cornerback. Um, he rounds out the the roster to a full clean 90 men. So the Vikings are at a true 90 man roster, which means anybody else they sign, they'll have to cut somebody to correspond with that. It's not exactly prohibitive, right? They can cut whoever that's fine. Um, but that's the, the place we're at now. They've now built a full 90 man roster. They're ready for camp. So let's check in on Brian O'Neill and his level of play and see, okay, are we like good with this extension? What does that mean? Has he improved over the last couple of years? Can we project more improvement or not or whatever? We'll talk about all of that stuff. I also have a story time series. We're doing one of the long snappers today, so I'm excited to share that with you. But first, let's start with Brian O'Neill. So Brian O'Neill in line for an extension. This is pretty standard timing for it. You're at the end of your rookie deal. You're headed into a contract year. If the Vikings want to extend you, they kind of do it the summer before you're contract year. So you don't have to play off on a contract year. You don't have to have any uncertainty. And it sounds like that is underway. Brian O'Neill uh, spoke in front of the media and he said that, yeah, he's, he basically gave the classic line of like, oh, I'm just letting the team and my agent work that out. And I'm focusing on football and I'm not thinking about it and all that stuff. But that at least implies something's going on. The way I like to look at it for the question of whether or not you should extend Brian O'Neill is how many years are you committing yourself to Brian O'Neill? How long is this marriage for? It's the way I look at a lot of these contracts, you know, the Kirk Cousins contract and stuff, because ultimately with how many tools are available to stretch the cap and, you know, be the Saints, be the Eagles, where you can do void years and all kinds of stuff. And then the cap goes up and it lessens the blow and you can kind of make it work. But what you can't do is get out from under a contract with a lot of guarantees on it or a big signing bonus or something like that, where, you know, the dead cap hit is too, you know, prohibitively large and you can't move the player. That is, I think, the true cost uh, is if I come to regret this contract, how long is it before I can get out from under it? And with a fully guaranteed deal like, you know, Kirk Cousins, we've been talking a lot about how difficult it is to get out from under that contract. Right now, the Vikings couldn't get rid of Dalvin Cook if they wanted to make a change at running back. They don't want to, and that's the bet they made, is that they wouldn't want to, but let's say, you know, he gets hurt and he's not fast anymore or something like that, they would kind of be stuck with it. So the question becomes more of an evaluative one this way, and I, and I like that. I think that's nice and tidy. 
do we want, call it three years of Brian O'Neill. Most NFL contracts are three years of kind of unalienable contract, and then maybe they tack on two extra ones where they're, you know, it's low guarantees and it's going to get restructured or they're going to be a cap casualty or they're going to do like what Anthony Barr did this offseason. And then, you know, by the time it's year four of the contract, the contract doesn't look the same anyways. So first three years of the deal, you're probably not moving that deal. And do we want to do that with Brian O'Neill? Or are we going to be sitting here in, you know, the 2023 offseason going, man, we should really think about making a change at right tackle. O'Neill's not good enough. And that is the question he set out to answer. Now, my prior on this is, of course, he's good enough for that. I think we've all been pretty happy with Brian O'Neill. He had a couple of rough games. Khalil Mack got his goat a little bit in 2020 in both matchups against the Bears. Um, That's obviously not the worst crime on the planet, but... There were some moments of his season that weren't great, so what's going on here? And so I kind of looked at that. I looked at his rookie season to see kind of what's changed. Has he come along? Has he developed? Or is he kind of the same guy? Who is this guy? So we'll talk about that, and I actually wrote an article that was a little bit more focused on on the improvement angle um, and had some thoughts about like Rick Dennison and O-line development and stuff like that. I'll link that in the show notes, but I want to talk more holistically about Brian O'Neill. But first, let's have a frank talk about daily fantasy football. That game is rigged against you. 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention like total cracked sharps that know exactly what they're doing. They have tools, they have more time, you don't stand a chance. Introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and puts winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name your stakes, winner take all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. I have never been a huge fan of Daily Fantasy because I always feel like I'm one in a million people. It feels like a lottery ticket, but this is exactly what I'm looking for. You're in total control. Stat Hero is DFS the way it was meant to be. One-on-one. Play Stat Hero now and change the odds. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. Sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match that is unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. That's stathero.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Let's also talk about guilt, specifically the guilt you feel when you cheat on your cheat day, or maybe not on your cheat day, but if you're looking to have a cheat, and you don't want to screw up your whole diet if you don't want to, if you're trying to lose or maintain weight and you don't want to fall off the wagon, give Built Bar a shot. It's covered in 100% chocolate, comes in a bunch of amazing flavors like raspberry, cherry, coconut, salted caramel. There's something for everyone. It is delicious and it's low in calories, low sugar, low carb, high in protein, high in fiber. It's even keto friendly if you're doing the keto thing and it won't knock you off of your rhythm. So head on over to BuiltBar.com, enter a promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15, all one word, for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So continuing on with Brian O'Neill, he's always been pretty good. And so the change from his rookie year to now is actually like not that drastic. I managed to find a couple of things that I thought were pretty substantial that helped him anchor. We'll talk about those a little later. That is mostly the subject matter of the article, but like his hands have always been pretty good, like his hand fighting. And we talked a lot about that when we were talking about Elijah Vera Tucker before the draft. He was kind of my big crush because I thought his hands were really good. His hands are very aggressive, but they're also very deliberate. Even as a rookie, it's very, like, uh, aimed, you know, it's very intentional. And the only thing is, as a rookie, his hands were early very often. That means that he would throw out a punch at a defensive lineman before that defensive lineman 
had really declared what kind of pass rush move they were using. So it's like you don't know what you're going up against and then you kind of give your hands up to a guy and it made it really easy to club those hands away as part of a greater strategy like a swim or a dip and rip or something like that. Uh, Cameron Jordan punished him a ton on that in the 2018 Saints game, handed him one of the worst games of his career kind of that way. But now his hands are a lot more patient. He won't stick his hands out. He keeps them holstered, keeps them by his hips, and it's a lot it's a lot harder to swat those out of the way. And sometimes he'll even flash his hands, where he'll send them out and then pull them back right away and kind of fake it so that the uh, the defensive end, and he actually got Cameron Jordan on this on Christmas, which is beautiful, uh, will you know kind of club at nothing or swipe at nothing, and it totally screws up the timing of their pass rush. So he's very savvy with his upper body, and that is awesome. You want uh, a tackle that's really thinking through it and you know not like thinking in the way that this they slowed down but somebody that seems to have a a general idea of what they're doing and they're doing it with intention and his footwork and all the other fundamentals are there um he i believe if i remember he had a false step coming out i don't really see that anymore which is nice the thing about brian o'neill that i think we have to talk about is strength right he's not a strong guy He's listed under 300 pounds right now on the Vikings website. And usually that means you're going to struggle against things like speed to power, bull rushes, uh, rushes that try to attack you with leverage and try to attack the inside of your frame and, you know, try to beat you with strength rather than beating you with finesse. If you're a finesse guy, if you're a speed rusher up and around the edge, if you are a, you know, really technique oriented, but not necessarily the most powerful type of edge rusher, I think that's a good matchup for O'Neal. That favors O'Neal. But if you're a power guy, like Afadio Denebo is a power guy, Romeo Okwara in uh, Detroit is a power guy that I think matches up kind of poorly against Brian O'Neal, though O'Neal hasn't struggled against him much personally. So maybe, maybe that's that's a counterpoint. But to me, power rushes are always what give him a little bit more trouble. And when you're undersized, there are things you can do. You don't just have to kind of roll over and die to this. So A, low man wins, right? You can be down 50 pounds on a guy, but if you're under them, if your pads are lower, that means you get to use more of your lower body, and that means you're going to be able to generate more power than the guy, even though you weigh less or you're less strong, you got less bench reps or whatever, right? You can also win the hand battle, which O'Neal is pretty good pretty good at, and that can also, you know, get you better leverage, get you better engagements, and it's a lot easier to push harder than the guy across from you if you can make it so the guy across from you isn't pushing directly on you or is getting at you from the side or has to go at an awkward angle or something. That's a very vague way to put it, but he's very good at that hand technique and kind of keeping the defensive end's hands off of him so that that bull rush, you know, kind of go be strong part of the rush never even comes. But look, you're not going to win that way every single time. Guys are going to get under you. Guys are going to get inside your frame. You're not going to get there. And so when you get knocked back, that's where you have to learn how to anchor. And that is something that O'Neill was not good at in 2018. He is pretty good at now. I think he's about as good as he's going to get. I think his frame's about maxed out. I don't think he's going to gain more weight or get stronger. This is his play style now. And I think he's acceptably good at, you know, recovering in these scenarios where I'm good with Brian O'Neill for the foreseeable future. And honestly, I didn't expect to come out of the other side of this, like, not thinking that I was going to be okay with Brian O'Neill. It was good to check, but let me tell you, let me talk to you about what I what I mean here. So when you anchor, you know, guy gets up under your chest and, you know, is pushing you back, right? Maybe you engaged with too high of pads, you had bad posture, that would happen to him a lot as a rookie. You got to throw your, your feet behind you and start walking back, right? You see a little bit of ground and try to get at a lower angle, try to kind of, uh, you know, plant your feet in the ground and push back and, and be like a, a support beam and uh, accept a whole bunch of power. And 
in his rookie year, O'Neal was not very good at this, right? When he would walk back, he would take a bunch of tiny little steps, and you're not getting any ground back. You're just losing ground. You're just getting walked back into the quarterback, and that would happen to him too often. Now when he anchors, he takes much, much bigger steps, much wider steps that cover a lot more ground. So it's fewer steps. You know, only take one or two, and you seed a little more ground that way, but you can actually kind of anchor and get your engagement back and hopefully fight the edge rusher to a stalemate and, you know, keep him off of the quarterback. Now, what I think is kind of interesting, I know that the way that PFF grades this, PFF hates those reps. Um, They will negatively grade Brian O'Neill for seeding space in the pocket, um, even if he ends up anchoring. For me, if I were an O-line coach, and I'm not, so grain of salt, uh, but if I were an O-line coach, I would take those reps all the time. I wouldn't negatively grade Brian O'Neill for this, so I'm going to be a little higher on him than than PFF is. PFF is not low on Brian O'Neill, by the way. He got a grade like in the high 70s or mid 70s. That's a solid grade by their standards, but I'm a little higher on that. So I say throw the bag at Brian O'Neill. I think he has the technique necessary to overcome his physical flaws. That is a huge thing for me with any player. Guys are going to have physical flaws. There's no such thing as a perfect athlete. Do you have the technique to overcome what you cannot do with athleticism alone? I think the answer to that for me with Brian O'Neill is a resounding yes, and therefore totally good with an extension. Give him whatever it ends up being. Of course, negotiate it such that you pay the minimum you can get away with and all that. That's how negotiations work. But the actual decision to extend him, resounding yes, didn't come up with anything surprising, but it's still a good exercise. It's good to talk about the guy that's about to get the bag. You know who else gets the bag? Auto shops and mechanics who are looking to pull one over on you. And Rock Auto has your back. Your car car needs a part, you might be able to get that same exact part from the same manufacturer, the mechanic, or somebody else would get, but you can get the same price everybody else is paying. A brick-and-mortar auto shop is going to upsell retail customers as opposed to their wholesale buyers. Rock Auto doesn't do any of that, and they're not selling you cheaper versions of the parts. You're getting the exact same product from the same factory, same manufacturer, same brand name, all of that stuff. Rock Auto just aggregates the deal for you, and they're a channel you can go through so you can try to save a buck. Just enter your make, your year, and your model. It'll sort through everything. Make sure you get, you're getting a part that is compatible with your car, and it'll give you all the, the viable brands to choose from. And this works for any car part you could like imagine, but also like basic supplies, jumper cables, uh, oil, windshield wiper fluid, things that you might just want to keep in your car, even like floor protectors and any other supplies you can think of. So head on over to rockauto.com and in the how you heard about us section, make sure you let them know that Locked On sent you because if you don't, the bunnies are going to team up with the Legion of Doom. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. At Hereford High uh, in Hereford, Maryland, near Sparks, Maryland, where the De Paolas live, the De Paolas are kind of legendary. There are four De Paola boys. They were all unbelievable athletes, multi-sport, and they were all superstars in whatever it was that they ended up doing. The second of the four boys, Andrew De Paola, played a little bit of baseball. And, of course, football. He played quarterback in high school. But he kind of got his feet wet in everything. Because when you live in rural Maryland, and you're one of four boys in a family, things get competitive. You're a rough house, you play around, and you kind of get experience in just about every game there is out there. Football, baseball, basketball, track, running, back and forth, wrestling, all of this stuff. A lot of rough housing and a lot of competition. And growing up in that consistent, you know, constant competition, I think it hones you, especially your competitive spirit when you're in something competitive like football. It gets you ready 
to look at the guy across from you and kind of resolve to take that guy down. And over Andrew DePolo's career, he had to do that so many times. And and his career, I, I really think the like pivotal, most pivotal moment in it happened before he was even in college. So he was good enough to get uh, scholarship offers from D2 schools as a high school quarterback. He could have been a walk-on at Rutgers. He got an offer to be a walk-on at Rutgers, but no scholarship, and he got D2 scholarships. So you kind of have to make this decision about what you want football to be in your life. If you go to the D2 school, football is a means to an end. It's a means to get a scholarship. You play football, you get your degree, and you move on with your life. But you're a D2 guy, right? Like, you're not exactly dreaming with aspirations to get to the NFL if you can help it. If you take the D1 walk-on deal, it's not a means to an end. That Football is the goal, right? It's not just a tool. It is the thing you want to do. And so Andrew DePaola takes the walk on. He wanted to play D1 football. He wanted to play at a school that will get him on the radar. And if he has to walk on to do it, if he has to win a competition, so be it. And that's exactly what he does. He walks on and he makes the team as the third string quarterback. So he's playing scout team and he doesn't end up being that good of a quarterback prospect, obviously, because that's he's not we're not talking about him as a Vikings quarterback. But he mostly, you know, helps the starter practice. He hung out there for three years, mostly stuck behind a guy named Mike Teal, who did end up getting drafted in the sixth round uh, that year. Didn't really go anywhere in the NFL. But during this time, Rutgers coach uh, Greg Schiano, you may have heard of him, were asking if there are any backups that wanted to help with a little bit of the dirty work, long snapping, holding, all that kind of stuff. And in all of the childhood backyard roughhousing, Dave Paola would uh, long snap to his brother and his father a whole bunch as part of those games. He would always be the guy that would do like shotgun snaps or long snaps if they were going to punt or something like that. So he actually had long snapped just in a playful way, like not in like a targeted practice way, but he had like a decent amount of experience with it. So he said, yeah, sure, I'll try that out. I'll hold, I'll do whatever you need me to do, coach, right? And he ends up actually getting some work on special teams and, of course, showing the coaches, hey, you know, I'll do kind of whatever you ask. And that's obviously going to stick in their minds. So uh, he ends up getting on the team in special teams in a way, and it is his, I think, his second to last year in school. And that is his only passing attempt in his entire career that I could find was a strike, an absolutely beautiful touch pass on a fake field goal as the holder against South Florida that goes for a touchdown. Um, And it was like red pretty well, too. Like South Florida read the play and covered it decently, but it and it like had to be a good throw. And it was it's pretty cool. I tweeted out the clip. I'll link it in the show notes. But that was it for his like uh, life as a quarterback, right? But it was time to actually ask him to to long snap. And when he started long snapping, uh, his coaches, you know, Shiano and, and the crew, they didn't have him practice long snapping during practice time. It was too important, the stuff he was doing on the scout team to help the starting quarterback prepare. So they couldn't take him away from that. They said, you come early and you practice long snapping. So he did. And he kind of thought it was just a side thing, just a thing to get into the good graces of the coaches or just, you know, not maybe not even that like deliberate of a thing. It's just, oh, coaches asked me to come in early and long snap. OK, that's what I do. Um, but he was like kind of good at it. And midway through his camp, his final year of college, uh, the coaches were like, you know, you're an NFL level long snapper. Like you could maybe make it in the NFL. 
So he says, all right, sure, why not? I'll sign up for the draft, thinking there's totally no way. And sure enough, draft comes and goes, and he doesn't get picked. But as the draft is wrapping up, kind of end of the seventh round, his phone goes off. And he's not drafted, but he did get a rookie minicamp invite. The Saints called him, and they invited him to rookie minicamp. And he was super hyped on it. This was 2010, defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, and he was just like hyped to get a call. He's like, oh my God, an NFL team is calling me and asking me to play football. That is unbelievable. And he goes to rookie minicamp and he does his darndest and he totally doesn't make the team at all. Nobody else called. So for the entire 2010 season, Andrew DePaola, rookie eligible, uh, you know, undrafted free agent long snapper goes without work. So he's got to take a job at his parents' restaurant. He works at Best Buy. Uh, he's basically moved on from the NFL, but he hasn't entirely moved on. So he, it was easy, he says, for him to kind of give up hope during this time. It was 2010 and 2011. So two years, he didn't get a call from an NFL team at all, but he stayed in shape and he kept practicing long snapping. And he said, I'm not going to give up hope. And when it felt like he could, his brothers, his parents were in with him. And, you know, that support system really helped him keep up that hope. And, like, look, there's a million players that come out of college. They get a minicamp invite. They don't make it in that minicamp invite. And they keep their jersey from that weekend in the attic as a wonderful keepsake that they'll look at in like 30 years and they'll smile. But like, that's it. And for two years, that looked like where Andrew DePaula was. Cool, I got to try out for the Saints. That's a neat story I'm going to tell people at parties. But then he's, you know, got to make ends meet, and he's got to kind of move on and train when he has time. And it's honestly a miracle. It's super lucky that he even got back in. He was out of football for two years, undrafted, total nobody, long snapper, and, like, basically hopeless. But the stroke of luck was that in the 2011 season... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers went 4-12 and under Raheem Morris. It was their Josh Freeman year. It was terrible. Everybody got fired. And who comes in to replace Raheem Morris? You might remember Greg Schiano, DePaulo's old Rutgers coach, who remembered the kid that was weirdly good at long snapping and willing to do whatever on special teams. So Schiano gives him a call, says, hey, have you been training? Are you in shape? And DePaulo says, yep. So... And you come. And it was really just to be a camp body. The the Bucks had a good long snapper at the time that they really trust. His name was Andrew Economos, uh, and he was kind of the veteran, and he was there. Um, so in 2012, he's just kind of a warm body. But hey, you know, you get to try out for a team again. You get to come to a, to a camp. Um, and in 2013, Economos is getting kind of old, and it's an, it's an earnest competition. Shiano says, hey, come back. Try to make the team again. And, you know, we'll see. It's an earnest competition, but he still isn't able to beat him out. Um, it was always kind of a long shot, but he always cherishes that time and he learns a lot from his predecessor. So Shiano only lasts two, those two years in Tampa. And in 2014, Lovey Smith takes over and Economos had retired. They brought in a longtime vet whose name was Jeremy Kane, who had bounced around the league. And they call Andrew DePolo back and say, look, come in one last time. We know, you know, Greg Shiano came in and they never roster you. We want to give you a chance, one more chance to make the Buccaneers and you'll have a real competition. And he beats out Jeremy Kane. And in the 2014 season, four years after he got out of college, he has made an NFL team and he plays long snapper for the Bucks for a few years. Now, in the final game of 2016, the Bucks weren't great that year. They were vying for like the sixth seed and they had one of those win in like six games kind of scenarios. Fourth quarter punt. It's clear the miracle ain't happening. It's totally meaningless football. It is on a fair catch. He tries to head juke around one of his, the opponent players to kind of get down to be involved if there's a return. 
And there's like this awkward exchange where the panther pushes him down and he lands on his knee funny and he tears his ACL. And they're not sure what they're going to do from there in 2017. And the Bills had just cut their eight-year veteran, his name was Garrison Sanborn, to save some ca- some salary cap space. So the Bucks bring in that veteran to compete and as insurance with De Paola and De Paola's contract was out. He had to be re-signed to a one-year deal, but coming off of an ACL tear versus like this legacy long snapper, De Paola loses out. And He doesn't even hit the market. The Bears claim him, and he snaps for the Bears for that whole year. But, again, only a one-year deal, so he gets signed again by Oakland. And at that point, he's an established dude. He wins the job 2018, week one. Monday night football against the Rams, a fourth and 18. The punt returner reverses field, setting up De Paola on a weird pursuit angle. And again, he tries to head fake a, a, a blocker, and he pops his knee right at the end of the play as things are dying down. He it, 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 it pops his ACL. Second ACL tear out for the season. So two ACL tears is now this specter that haunts Andrew De Paola forever. He doesn't make the Raiders. The Panthers bring him in for two seconds to spell their main long snapper who was hurt for the last preseason game and needed to sit out, and he doesn't make anything. So again, he sits out in 2019. And in 2020, he gets a trout with the Texans, but he doesn't make it. And again, career circling the drain. The dude sat out of football for two years, got three chances to make a team, did, now has sat out another year, and the Vikings had like a million special teams issues, not the least of which was a struggling Austin Cutting, and DiPaolo joined the Vikings practice squad as kind of a hedge for that, and by season's end, Cutting was out and DiPaolo was long snapping. So now, he's the legacy guy that's been in the league for a bunch of years, he's competing with an undrafted free agent named Turner Bernard, but he's the old guy. He's the veteran. And three years removed from his ACL injuries, that seems to be behind him. He's always been the long shot. This is kind of one of the first times where he's not. But either way, it's just one more competition for a dude who has had the weirdest, most fragmented career ever. But it always comes down to competition, and he's always ready for it. I will talk to you guys all tomorrow. No idea what we're going to talk about. We'll figure something out. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. The show is on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Make sure you check out the Locked On Today podcast. Everything you need to know in the wide world of sports under 20 minutes every single morning. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull.